this is a, you know, obviously a very unique time of year um, in our culture, in, our, in the country we live in, the, the time that we live in. You know, we're on the other side of Thanksgiving, which when I was a kid didn't necessarily mean you were automatically in the Christmas time, but it seems like as I've gotten older, it's like, man, that Christmas season officially starts earlier and earlier and earlier. And so now it is like, man, you get past Thanksgiving and Christmas is like here. I mean, the time is here and everybody is talking about it. Everybody's getting ready for it. Uh, well, I shouldn't say everybody. Maybe not. I'm just curious. How, how, many, how many of you have already, show of hands, how many of you have already set up your Christmas tree at your house? Man, some of those hands just shot up. Some people are super, oh, hold on, hold on, I want to see. I didn't even need to look at this side of the room. That's a good number of folks that have already said that's awesome. Yeah, that good Christmas spirit. How many of you um, are just, how many of you get to the other side of Thanksgiving and you actually, you find yourself being like super excited because this is like one of your favorite times of year. Anybody? Anybody excited and excited folks? How many of you are like me and you haven't even thought about when you're gonna set up your Christmas tree yet? Anybody? Any other Scrooges in the room? But I got a few hands back here. I've thought about it, okay? Everybody's like glaring at me right now. I've thought about it. I don't have the date picked yet, and we haven't decided, but we will set up a Christmas tree. You know, it's just, it's a special time of year. It's a time of year where there's so many things that start going through our hearts, and it's something that, like, predominantly in our culture, almost anybody you talk to is thinking about the same thing. We're thinking about time off at Christmas. We're thinking about the gifts we're going to give. We're thinking about the gifts we're going to receive. We're thinking about what we're going to do. We're thinking about the Christmas parties that we're going to go to. We're thinking about when we're going to take off from work to be with the people that we love. All these thoughts start rushing through our minds this time of year. And it's a very, it's a very special time in our culture. And for, for Ethos, this time of year is, is really special, but it's for slightly different reasons. It's for slightly different reasons. You know, we refer to this, you'll notice when we lit these candles and we had readers up here, we didn't really use the word Christmas. This, this might shock some of you. Christmas is actually not in the Bible. Like you won't find the word Christmas anywhere in the Bible. Like it's not there. However, this word Advent, well, some people go, well, where is that in the Bible? The word Advent is a Latin word, Adventus. And it simply means arrival or coming. And it's the equivalent of a Greek word, which is parousia. Advent kind of rolls off the mouth a little easier than, than parousia. But parousia or parousia, it, just, it means the same thing. It means arrival. It means coming. And it is all over the New Testament. It is all over the Bible. This idea of God arriving, of God coming to be amongst his people. It is all through Scripture. And so as followers of Jesus, as we enter into this season... As, as Ethos Church, we use this word Advent to really mark what this time of year is about, what it means for us as followers of Jesus. Now, I'll be honest, I think it's really important that we as followers of Jesus are intentional about this time of year. You know, if we're not careful, it's easy for us to get caught up in the hubbub and the hurry and the flow of what our culture says about this time of year. Now, what our culture says, the words that are used are that, hey, Christmas is this wonderful time to be filled with hope and joy and peace and family time and love for one another. This is what we say, but if we look at the actions of the majority of our culture, we see something a little bit different. We see that, man, this time of year, is, it, is a, it is a time that is marked by hurriedness. Oh, God, I got all my Christmas shopping done. Oh man, I got another Christmas party I gotta go to. I gotta have some kind of white elephant gift to bring to it. Shoot, I gotta go to the dollar store and buy a cheap gift so that I have something that don't show up empty-handed. Like, it is marked by hurriedness. There's so much going on in our calendars, like so much going on all around us. 
In our culture, it is a time that is marked by spending money. That Man, I mean, it is, it is crazy to me how the day after Thanksgiving has become marked, like the day where we're supposed to be filled with gratitude is almost overshadowed by this day that we're supposed to go buy all the things that we don't yet have. Like it is, it is a season that is marked by the spending of a ton of money on gifts for other people. But if we're honest, a lot of times it's spending money on gifts for ourselves. It's buying new decorations because our old ones wore out. It's like spending on food and doing all these things of gathering. It's marked by hurriedness. It's marked by spending money. And it is marked by the idea of enjoying time together. Now, the reason I say it's the idea is because, you know, what you see on the commercial, on the Hallmark commercials, everybody's happy. Like, everybody's sitting around that family Christmas dinner. The turkey is perfect. Like, everybody's just got smiles on their faces. There's, like, Christmas music playing in the background. It is the idea, and yet I have talked with many of you about your time with families, and the majority of us, it doesn't always live up to the ideal, does it? There's this idea of the perfect Christmas family time together, and then there's the real. It's often messy, It's often marked by a little bit of apprehensiveness. Like, man, what's it going to be like with my family this year? There's a little bit of pain involved. And so Christmas, there's like this veneer of wonderful beauty, love, faith, joy. And then there's the reality of being hurried, of spending money, sometimes money that we don't have. And then there's the reality of time together with family that feels awkward and uncomfortable at times. I believe as followers of Jesus, Advent becomes a time, it's an opportunity for those of us who are followers of Christ to live into what the Apostle Paul would say in Romans 12. He'll say this, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. Don't don't be conformed to the pattern of the world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Advent is a time where we allow our minds to reflect on, to remember the story that we are in and to be transformed by that story, by our understanding of that story. I think Advent is not best leveraged by us by just doing everything that our culture says we should do. I think Advent can be leveraged best by living intentionally into two things. Two things. So Advent, how do we do this, man? Number one, we intentionally remember. We intentionally remember. What that means is we don't just like accidentally remember. It's not this thing that just kind of happens across our path. No, we take time to intentionally remember the advent, the the coming, the arrival of Jesus. It's a time to remember that God is not distant, but God is near. It's one of the stories we're going to look at here is Jesus, God in the flesh, coming into the world, becoming Emmanuel, God with us. And so it's a time to intentionally remember that God did not say distant, but God came near. And yet in our current moment, as we remember, sometimes we'll go, man, it's a time to remember, but this feels like it brings tension. As we remember, it's also a time of tension because we look around us and we go, okay, Jesus came. I get that. Jesus came. That's great. And yet I look around me and the world does not seem to be what it should still. Like we look around us and We remember Jesus came, but then we go, oh man, but we're still finding ourselves getting just knocked around by a global pandemic. I mean, the last 48 hours have been insane. It's like the whole world turned upside down again, a new variant of the COVID-19 virus, like, and everything, I mean, the stock market has plummeted, countries are closing their doors, everyone's wringing their hands, freaking out. It's like, what is going on? Yeah, we remember Jesus came, and yet 
there's still this tension. And we go, and yet, it's still, it, you know, you look around the world, it's like, man, it seems like everyone is on the brink of war. Man, is Russia going to invade Ukraine? Is China going to try to take over Taiwan? Is like the U.S. is looking on every side going, what's going on? It's like Jesus came, and yet there's still war and pandemic. Many people in the world right now are experiencing famine. We're seeing the rise of autocratic rulers all across the world. And if I'm honest, we go, okay, intentionally remember but what about all that tension I feel in my heart when I start to remember God came near and yet the world is still a mess? You see, Advent, there's two aspects of it. One is we intentionally remember, but two, we intentionally anticipate. We intentionally anticipate. To anticipate means we wait, we look forward to, we hope. That in the middle of the mess that we find ourselves in, we are a people that are marked by hope. I love this definition of hope. It means to trust in, to wait for, to look for, or desire something or someone. It's to expect something beneficial in the future. <laughs> to hope is to expect something beneficial in the future. So Advent is this time, man, we intentionally remember Oh, but we intentionally anticipate and allow our hearts to be filled with hope that there is something beneficial in the future. Now, this morning, we're going to look at a person who is central to the first advent of Jesus, the first coming of Jesus. And this is the mother of Jesus, Mary. And we're going to look at her story and we're going to go, okay, as we intentionally remember the first advent and what was happening in Mary's life and what, what Jesus brought about in her life, how do we intentionally anticipate that which we are still hoping for? So we're going to use her story to set the stage for how we lean in to advent effectively as a church family. So let's look together. Luke chapter one, if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter one. We're going to start reading in verse 26. Again, this is the narrative, the story of the first advent of Jesus, the first coming of Jesus. And there's this young woman, Mary, and an angel is going to show up to her, and he's going to have some shocking words to say to her. Verse 26, in the sixth month, sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So Elizabeth was Mary's cousin, and you can read that whole story earlier in chapter 1. It says, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, I want you to just pause right there and imagine Mary. I know, I know Mary is a character all of us have heard of her if you've been in church in any amount of time. Likely, if you've ever been around any kind of Christmas thing anywhere, you've heard of Mary, the mother of Jesus. But I just imagine, it, there's given us so much information. She's betrothed to be married. She's got her whole life in front of her. She's a virgin, which means she has saved herself for marriage. She has lived uprightly as a Jewish woman. And she has prepared herself to give her whole life to, to, to the Lord, to Yahweh. And she's got everything in front of her. She's done all the right things. And then this angel shows up, verse 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. 
How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Now, I, I wish one of my prayers this morning as I've been getting ready, has, I've just been asking God, God, will you help this familiar story be fresh to us? Because we've all heard this story. I'm asking the Lord just to make it fresh to us to really begin to enter into Mary's skin for a minute and, and experience what she's experiencing in this moment. A young woman, whole life in front of her, excited about getting married, and then this angel shows up to her and says, hey, you who are highly favored by God, like what an incredible greeting. But then he says, hey, everything that you've got laid out in front of you, it is about to be royally disrupted. <laughs> Everything, everything you have planned is about to be disrupted. You're going to get pregnant. Everyone is going to look at you and they're going to know that you're pregnant and that you're not married yet. And there's going to be rumors. There's going to be, I mean, all these things, everything Mary had hoped about her new husband and her new life with him and what it would feel like and what it would look like is suddenly disrupted as this angel tells her that she's going to become pregnant. And yet what's amazing about Mary is that even though this incredible life-disrupting, life-altering news lands in her lap, her simple response at the very end of it is so, so beautiful. She says, I'm the Lord's servant. I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. This like life-disrupting change, I want you to imagine whatever it is that you have planned for the next year of your life or two years, and suddenly someone comes to you and says, hey, all that you had planned, put that on hold because here's what's going to go down. It's so disruptive. And yet her response is, okay, I'm Lord's servant. May it be as you've said, whatever you say, Lord, whatever you say. How in the world did Mary get to a place where she was so receptive, so obedient, so humble before God that this life-altering, life-disrupting message did not phase her, but moved her forward in obedience and humility before God? I think this is so important for us as followers of Jesus today as we intentionally anticipate. It's so important for us to understand how Mary got to where she was. You know, I think the reason Mary was able to respond so obediently, one of the primary reasons is that the information that Gabriel gave her was not new to her. It was not new information. Now, hear me out on this. The pregnancy was new information. Mary did not know she was going to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> did not know that was happening. But all the other information that Gabriel told her was not new information. I think a lot of times we have this misconception that Mary had no clue what was going on. That as Gabriel is talking to her about becoming pregnant with this baby named Jesus, that she's like, whoa, a king? What? This is like, brand what? What's happening? Like, this was not new information to Mary. This was not new information to any devout and Torah-observant Jew in the first century. This idea of a coming king was not news. It was something they were anticipating. It was the story they were living into. Mary, as a Jewish woman in the first century, was living into this story in the hopes of a Messiah, 
and the hopes of a king, a hope that had been reverberating through all of their scriptures all the way from the very beginning in Genesis chapter three, you see echoes of this idea of the seed of a woman that would arise to crush wickedness under his feet. This was not new information to Mary. In fact, it's riddled all throughout scripture. Did you notice that when, after Gabriel tells her everything, she doesn't, she doesn't respond by going, what, a king? A king that's gonna sit on David's throne? It's, she's not shocked. No, she goes, wait, how's this pregnancy thing gonna work out? Because I'm a virgin. <laughs> like her only question that she's unclear on is how in the world she's actually going to become pregnant. You see, Mary had an understanding of the story that she was living in. She understood the story she was living in. She understood it was not her story. It's God's story and that God is actively telling a story that is bigger than any one of us individually. How do I know this? Well, man, I wish, I wish we had like hours to sit down and just go through the Old Testament and just show you all the places where the Lord is sometimes whispering, sometimes shouting of this promise that he's going to accomplish. I'm just going to take you to a few places. And we've got slides for this. You can look at them. But the first one is Isaiah 11, verse 10. This is one of the ones that we, we heard read, we heard, we hear read often around this time of year. In fact, we'll read it in one of our other Advent weeks. But Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10 says this, in that day, the root of Jesse. Now, if you don't know who Jesse is, Jesse was the father of a guy named David, who was the greatest king in Israel's history that God made a covenant with. And so it says here in Isaiah 11, in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. There's this promise that out of the root of Jesse, out of the line of Jesse and King David, then there will be a banner that the nations will rally to. Someone is coming in that family. You keep reading, you get to Jeremiah, another prophet in the Old Testament. He says it this way in Jeremiah 23, verse five and six, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he'll be called the Lord, our righteous savior. So Jeremiah makes it clear. Isaiah makes it clear. Jeremiah will even repeat himself 10 chapters later. He says that over again in Jeremiah 33, in those days and at that King David, a righteous branch sprout from David's line. So a descendant from King David. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which he'll be called the Lord, our righteous savior. For this is what the Lord says. David, listen to this. David will never fail to have a man sit on the throne of Israel. This was the story that Mary was living into. She knew the family line that she was descended from. She knew the promise that there would come a seed of a woman one day who would crush evil in the world and would sit on the throne over Israel. She knew the story. She knew what Gabriel was saying to her. I'll give you one more and I'll stop. Ezekiel 37. This one's a little bit longer, Ezekiel 37. This, this comes right after a very famous story in Ezekiel where he, he paints this picture of a valley of dry bones. I don't know how many of us have heard this story of the valley of dry bones and they come alive and the flesh is put back on them and they rise up to become this incredible army. But then listen to what Ezekiel says, verse 24, my servant David will be king over them and they will all have one shepherd. 
They will follow my laws. They will be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where your ancestors lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers and I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Isn't that beautiful? This was the promise of God to his people. I'm gonna raise up a king for you, one from the line of David. He will sit on the throne amongst you forever. I will put my ways in your heart and you will be moved to keep my laws and there will be peace amongst you as he sits on that throne. You could go on and on and on. There's so many Old Testament prophecies about this coming king. Mary knew the story she was living in. And because she had perspective on the story she was in, it empowered her to respond with obedience to an incredibly life-disrupting announcement. And so as we intentionally remember this story of the first advent, first moment that God came and made his dwelling among us by disrupting the life of a young woman and her soon-to-be husband, what does that say to us? As we intentionally remember that story, how do we intentionally anticipate? How do we anticipate? You see, Mary was waiting. Mary was waiting, and she was hoping for the advent, for the coming of her Messiah, the coming of a king. I wonder, I wonder how often that's true of us as followers of Jesus today. How many of us live with the kind of eager expectation that Jesus is coming? How many of us live full of hope that all the mess we see unfolding in the world around us has an expiration date? It has an expiration date. You see, Jesus came. He came and he was born as a baby. He suffered and he died on a cross. He was buried in a tomb and he rose to life again and he ascended to heaven. But here's the reality that all of us need to recognize as we reflect on the story that we are in. Jesus is not a baby in a manger anymore. Jesus is not a broken man on a cross anymore. Jesus is not a dead man in a tomb anymore. Jesus ascended to heaven, and that's where he is right now. But the reality is Jesus is not staying in heaven forever. His promise to us at the end of his ministry, his promise to his disciples is that he is coming back. And his instructions were really simple for us. Did you know that Jesus, repeatedly as he talks to his disciples, he tells them, keep watch. He says, be alert, I'm coming back. You read Matthew 24 and 25. Jesus tells all these parables to describe what it'll be like when he comes back. And over and over again, he says this. He says, be alert, keep watch, be alert, keep watch. He tells us we don't know the day or the hour. And many people go, well, we don't know the day or the hour, then I don't really need to think about it that much. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, because you don't know the day or the hour, be alert, keep watch. I'm convinced this is one of the things that made Mary a suitable candidate to bear the Son of God. 
I think she had an expectation that she was keeping watch because she knew that Messiah was coming. And I believe we as followers of Jesus today are to intentionally anticipate the coming of Jesus, to be alert, to keep watch. Now, just so you know, I'm not just making this up and saying that I think this is the way it should be. You know, I, it's not surprising to me at all that the New Testament writers over and over again will encourage followers of Jesus to organize our lives around this hope that Jesus is coming back. In Romans chapter 15, verses 12 through 13, it's really interesting. The apostle Paul actually quotes Isaiah 11, the verse I read earlier. Romans 15, 12 through 13 says this. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. And then Paul says this, may the God of hope, this is his instruction to followers of Jesus, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The apostle Paul references this Old Testament prophecy about the coming of Jesus as a reason for why we as followers of Jesus should be filled with hope. The promises of God that Jesus will reign, that Jesus will rule, that he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, that he is returning. There is a second coming of Jesus, an advent of Jesus, in which all of the brokenness that we see around us will be squashed. This is our hope. This is what we hope for. And the Apostle Paul will say, hey, listen, this is the organizing principle of your life, that your life should be built around this idea that Jesus is coming. He'll say it even more clear, I believe, in Titus chapter 2. In Titus chapter 2, verses 11, 14, this is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And so remember, Advent, intentionally remember. So Paul is remembering, he's, man, the grace of God has appeared. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, offering grace for all of us has appeared but then he keeps going. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Look at verse 13. While we wait for the blessed hope. While we wait for the blessed hope. What is the blessed hope? The blessed hope, he keeps going. He says the appearing, the of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. I think what the Apostle Paul holds out here for followers of Jesus is this. Hey, when the world around you is losing its mind, we know who we are. The grace of God has appeared. That passage that was read up here by one of our Advent readers earlier in Hebrews chapter 9, for Christ came the first time to forgive us of our sins. The grace of God has appeared in Jesus. All our sins have been forgiven. And now we wait. We wait for him to come again. 
and to rule and to reign and to finally deal with brokenness, with pain, with sin, with suffering, with death, with poverty, with all of these things, Jesus will deal with them. But what Paul says is while we wait, while we wait, we don't conform to the world around us. We say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and we live self-controlled, upright, godly lives. We organize our entire lives around this promise that Jesus is coming. And so this is what Advent is about. It's about this moment where we go, oh, we intentionally remember, yes, Jesus came. He came, he was born, he died a sinner's death so that I don't have to die a sinner's death to give me a reward. He rose from the dead, he conquered death. And so we intentionally remember all of these things in the season of Advent. And yet we also intentionally anticipate. We organize our lives around the promise of Christ's return. Now, practically, how do we do that? You know, I think it's, I think it's really interesting that Mary, Mary, although she was anticipating this, although she was waiting, clearly understood the idea of a coming Messiah and was eager for him in the way that she responded to the news. Her life was still functioning pretty normally. Mary was still betrothed to be married. Like she was gonna have a wedding, she was gonna get married. As far as we know, like all things in her life were kind of functioning the way a normal Jewish life would function in the first century. And I think there's instruction for us in this as well. You know, I, I don't know where you are, what stage of life you're in right, right now, but I know that there are things that you're probably hoping for for this next year, for the next two years, the next three years, the things you're hoping for your life. And I think, I think the Lord would look at us and he'd say, hey, if you're, if you're thinking about going to school, hey, go to school, get your education. Hey, if you're thinking about getting married, hey, get married, pursue the relationship. Hey, if you're thinking about getting the job, take the job, move into the new thing. If you're thinking about buy a house, hey, that's okay, that's great. Buy a house, all of the normal things that we would want to do as people that are living in this very real and present life, I think the Holy Spirit would say, hey, that's great, do all of those things, but how do you organize your life around the hope of a coming Savior? It looks like this, hey, do all of those things, but don't let those things define who you are. Don't let those things define you. Don't, don't let the job define you. Don't let the relationship define you. Don't let your education define you. Don't let the house you live in define you. Don't let your social media profile or what people think about you, don't let any of those things define you. He says, no, organize your life around this one thing, this one truth, this idea that Christ is coming and be open to whatever interruption that reality may bring into your life. I believe that God wants to get our attention. He wants to wake us up so we can be awake, alert, and sober, and watching for him. You know, 2 Chronicles 16, verse nine says that the eyes of the Lord search to and fro in the land, looking to strengthen those who are devoted to him. I think as we approach the end, you know, every day we are one day closer to the return of Jesus. And every day, I think the Lord is looking. He's looking for those who are devoted to him, those who are like Mary, or if you know the rest of the story, those that are like Zechariah and Elizabeth, or if you know the rest of the story, those that are like Simeon and Anna, he's looking for those that are devoted to strengthen us. Will we Will he look at Ethos Church? Will he look at us? And will he see a people 
that are devoted fully and wholly to him, living in holy expectation that he is coming and he's going to make it all new. Because I believe when he sees us that way, he will speak, he will guide, he will lead, he will even give holy disruptions like the one that he gave to Mary. Not exactly like that. None of us are going to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit. You know what I mean? He will disrupt your life. He will disrupt your life in the holiest and most beautiful of ways if we are living into that story with eager expectation. So this is the invitation for Advent. So, you know, we'll do, all, we'll do all the things. We'll do all the Christmas things. Those are all good and wonderful. But let's primarily let this season be one where we intentionally remember the coming of Jesus and where we intentionally anticipate the return of Jesus and we allow him to stir our hearts with eager anticipation that there is something beneficial coming in the future. So this morning, we're gonna take communion together. And as we take communion together this morning, it is a time for us to remember all that Christ accomplished in his first coming, what he accomplished at the cross, what he accomplished in the empty tomb, But it is also a time for us to eagerly anticipate that he's still working and he is not finished with the work that he is doing. So I want to encourage you to grab your communion. If you have it, go ahead and open it up and take the bread out and open up the cup. If you're able, I want to invite you just to stand with me. Grab your cup, grab the bread, and just stand with me. If you are new to Christianity or you're new to ethos, these two little simple emblems are something we do every week together. The bread reminds us that God took on flesh. God was born as a helpless child in the person of Jesus. That he gave his life for us at a cross. He suffered a death that we deserved so that we don't have to. He offered us forgiveness. The cup represents the blood that he shed at the cross. And we take this to remember, and we take this to anticipate. So I want to invite you just, just to repeat after me. You say, this is the body of Christ, given for me. This is the blood of Christ, poured out for me. Thank you, Jesus for your life, for your death, for your resurrection. Thank you, Jesus, for your promise to come. Come, Lord, come. Let's take the bread and the cup together.